0: A podcast one production. Hold
1: on one second. <laughs> nice crisp sound. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm jealous. I want a drink. Go get some. No, my equivalent of a can of beer is like a Bacardi Breezer. You know what I mean. Oh I'm to treat yourself. <laughs> All right, let's get started. Ready, Jacob? Yes. On the record, we're not drinking in the studio. <laughs> Okay, go. (laughs) (laughs) The beer has gone to your head already. This is why we shouldn't drink. (laughs) Are you sure you can do this?
1: One day I'm going to hit my cue on time. Okay. Hello and welcome to Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast where Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a topic we find interesting so that you'll then be able to bluff your way through a dinner party when we're allowed to have dinner parties again (laughs) in the future.
0: I know, the whole premise of our podcast has kind of gone down
1: yeah. the toilet, <laughs> shivers. <laughs> bit by bit, they're coming back. They'll just be kind of small dinner parties, mm. intimate dinner parties, mm-hmm. um, and you'll be able to bring some fascinating information to the table, and this week, we're going to help you get up to speed on...
0: <gasps> this is a really random one that I had never heard of, and I don't know if you'll know what it is. Mm-hmm. its is. I'm talking about the Billionaire Boys Club. No. No? Okay. It's, all right, it's, it is nuts. There's a Ponzi scheme, which you know I love. There's scammers, which you know I love, but Mm. then there's also murder, (sighs) which I don't love, but I love talking about. So Mm. that's what we'll be talking about today. Excellent. Um, But first.
1: Of
0: course. Brick and nose, a brick and nose, I got the scoop see, C X ray X ray, read all about it. I got the scoop news. <laughs>
1: I do hope you use that footage. She does look very very photogenic <laughs> and so youthful without her lashes. I
0: know Jacob says I look like a baby. Every time her
1: I lashes. look at her, she looks like she's prepubescent. I feel
0: like a potato. <laughs> I just want Lady Lash to open again so I can go and just. I don't accept that this is what I actually look like. So Mm. I need to get my lashes back on. So I go back to looking what I insist Mm -hmm. I naturally look like. Mm -hmm.
1: What you were meant to be.
0: I think it's been um, the shock of his life for Caleb to see (laughs) what was under all of that. (laughs) Wasn't planning on showing him that for the while, but that's COVID for you.
1: (laughs) And you've made it regardless. Clearly, I'm
0: the biggest victim of this pandemic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's been hard
0: really hard. Um, okay, so, I mean, I have some personal breaking news this week, which I'll get to, but the main thing I want to talk about, and the only thing I really care about, is that Pete Evans has gone balls to the wall batshit crazy. Really? Yes. Okay, so he uh, lost his contract with Channel 7. So Channel 7 mm-hmm. announced, like, a week ago that they weren't going to have him as part of the network anymore, which means he's not going to be on My Kitchen Rules, which is presumably because My Kitchen Rules is getting cancelled because it's getting really bad ratings. So that's an $800,000 a year contract that he had with Channel 7. And I was talking to Caleb and and Caleb was like, what do you think he's going to do next? Like, is he going to go to another channel? And I said, no. Now that he's free Mm. from a mainstream media contract, I bet he believes in some crazy shit Mm. and he's just going to start vomiting it out into the universe, Mm -hmm. and my friend, has he delivered? (laughs) In the last week, Pete Evans has posted some crazy shit Mm -hmm. on his social media, the craziest one of which was a... uh, Well, first he posted this massive poster about how every... like criminal, death, anything, COVID, bad, conspiracy, everything in the world is connected to Bill and Melinda Gates. <laughs> so he's one of those. Uh-huh. Um, he thinks that, like, 5G is poisonous and going to kill us all. He's like, you know, everything that, like, boomer idiots read on Facebook and believe is true, he does. Right. But then he posted this meme on um, Facebook and Instagram and stuff that was saying that reporting in the news about celebrities' um, getting tested for COVID-19 or having COVID-19 is actually secret code words about them being arrested (laughs) for their part in an underground international pedophile ring. Oh. (laughs) So if you see reported in the news that a celebrity is being tested for Mm COVID-19, that is that celebrity trying to get word out to the leaders of the ring that um, they need help, they're being questioned by the police, send someone to come and save me immediately. (laughs) If you see on the news that a celebrity has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and they're quarantining at home, it means, help, I've been busted, they've arrested me and they're going to execute me, which will come up in the news as either a suicide or drug overdose. (laughs) Like, I'm not... You're looking at me like this is... (laughs) This is what he posted. So whenever a celebrity tweets out or says that they are being tested for COVID Mm. or they're quarantining at home or um, they've got COVID and they're in the hospital, it's actually a code word sending news up the ladder of the pedophile ring (laughs) that they need help for being in certain situations because all celebrities on earth a part of an underground ped- international pedophile ring.
1: Including carrie Ann Kennelly. I guess, And yes. I knew it. I <laughs> knew it.
0: All of them. All of them. He also started posting a bunch of stuff from QAnon, which is that crazy online group that um, talked about Pizzagate, saying that Hillary Clinton was running a pedophile ring from the basement of a pizza shop in New York, and people took it so <laughs> seriously that one guy went to actually blow up that pizza shop. <laughs> and a huge reason, if you ask a lot of people in the US, why didn't you vote for Hillary Clinton, they say because she was a pedophile and she was hiding kids in the basement of that pizza shop.
1: Oh, God.
0: So, like, Pete Evans has gone balls to the wall crazy.
1: Wow. I knew there was something fishy about activated almonds. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: so he also, and then he put up this post, like, on Instagram, basically saying, like... You know, I'm just a truth teller Mm. and I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just saying maybe expand your mind. Like, Mm. you know how people who always sprout this bullshit are like, you're just not open enough to Mm. see the truth. Mm. And I feel sorry for you because Mm. you are like a shill for the government who just believes whatever the news tells them. And so he's basically now marketing himself as like this underground prophet who is the (laughs) only one who's going to tell you the truth. I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. I said to Caleb a week ago, some point in the next week, he's going to start saying some crazy stuff.
1: You called it. And did they let him go because he was selling those dodgy light machines? I think so. I think
0: think the light machines were the last straw. Mm -hmm. And they were like, see ya, Uh Pete Evans. Okay. And they announced a new cooking show that has the two guys who got fired from MasterChef who didn't all their employees and Manu. So Manu was his co-host on My Kitchen Rules. So I was Mm. like, well, where's Pete Evans going? Mm. To bust the underground pedophile ring at the pizza shop. (laughs) (laughs) Not wearing sunscreen because that's poisonous. (laughs) And not putting fluoride in water because it's poisonous.
1: And God forbid, vaccinating any of his children. Oh, no,
0: never, Mm. never, never, never.
1: And imagine if this is just how he's warming up. Imagine well, the crescendo he could build, too.
0: I think this is actually the more lucrative option for him because mm. he's gone too far cray to ever really be accepted mainstream mm. again. Like, he's he's clearly not middle of the road anymore. Mm. So in order to, like, make money, he just really needs to fully lean in to the batshit mm-hmm. craziness.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: That's what he'll do. <laughs>
1: I think it will we quite comfortable.
0: <laughs> I think you know they're saying he's going to move to Byron Bay. No, like literally, like <laughs> yes, that's not a joke. Course. Like he's yes. literally going to move to Byron Bay. You know, one of the only places in Australia where they refuse to put fluoride right in the water. Also, funnily enough, the highest rate of tooth decay in children. But <laughs> whatever. Um. So he'll go up there and he'll you know do what he does. I don't know. Make Start money. Start a cult. Make money. Truth telling started
1: cold. Oh. Flash forward a few years and you're giving me just the gist of the Pete Evans cult.
0: I know, where like no one's allowed to put poison in their body except women who use fillers. <laughs>
1: like his wife. <laughs> anyway.
0: <laughs> so that's like the main news I care about this week. The other thing that I just want to say personally is I've been baking a lot, which I love. I've mm. been baking, I'm really good at it. Mm. And because I'm bored, I can't stop picking at blackheads on my face. So I'm (laughs) covered in (laughs) weird little scabs. (laughs) And then when I had no more blackheads left, I decided like, oh, Caleb's got young, blackheady skin. I'm going to go after him. So I was like, can I give you a facial? It's really relaxing. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, like I'll just... Rub in some product. it be really nice. I'll put a hot cloth on your face. And he was like, okay. So I got him to lie down on the couch, like, gave him a face, <laughs> facial massage and was, like, using all these oils. And then I whipped out my little bucket tool <laughs> <laughs> with the pin on the one end and the circle on the other. And I was like, rrr, rrr. and he was like, what the? Rosie, what are you doing? He's like, ow. And I was like, this is a facial. And he's like, what? I said, you wanted a facial? This is a facial. Stay still. And I'm like trying to get all the blackheads. And he's like, get the F off me. So then we got into a big fight because he wouldn't let me give him a relaxing facial <laughs> where I was trying to squeeze his blackheads. So I'm out of blackheads to squeeze. Oh. He was getting dire. <laughs>
1: I'm horrified. And that
0: was. (laughs) Well, I know you're horrified because you're the king of skincare.
1: And I used to teach people how to do facials, and you need a license to do any sort of extractions.
0: Oh, well, I didn't tell him I was doing an extraction facial. (laughs) I just said facial. Is it my fault he doesn't know what's involved? (laughs) And once he agreed to it, (laughs) Mm. how dare he try to get up when I'm trying to give him a relaxing. Facial.
1: Yeah. There really are two distinct types of people in this world. The ones that really want to squeeze other people's blackheads and the ones whose stomach really churns at the thought of it, and I am the latter.
0: So you don't like Dr. Pimple Popper? Oh, God,
1: no. No. I
0: love her. I would
1: never be able to watch one of those videos to completion. No.
0: (sighs) Mm. No, not the gross ones. I don't like the big abscess. I like the little blackhead ones. Mm. That is the most satisfying thing. And you can see, like, because they'll do a close-up on the person's face so you can see really closely when she's doing the blackheads on the nose, the camera's right there. But you can see, like, tears streaming down the
1: side
0: (laughs) (laughs) because they're obviously in so much pain. But, man, it's satisfying to watch.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I don't think Caleb will ever get a facial again in his entire life. I think he was traumatised.
1: Oh, no, it's going to take him a long time to forget that. But
0: I did get a couple good blackheads before he... (laughs) Realised he was being tortured and pushed me off. All right. Oh, by the way, did you do your homework this week? Oh, what was... Uh, Did you watch Face Off so we could talk about it?
1: Oh, whoopsie. How dare you? Sorry.
0: I did. (laughs) And of course Caleb hadn't seen it because he hasn't seen anything. I've just been really busy. (laughs) Okay, well...
1: Uh, This week, I promise.
0: Watch it and then we'll talk about it next week because... It's even worse than I remember, (laughs) which means it's even more glorious than I remember. Okay. That was breaking news. Breaking news. All right. Here we go. This week, we're talking about the Billionaire Boys Club. Mm -hmm. Now, I had no idea about this story. It's a thing. It happened in the 80s. I found it because I've been, like, I relax by listening to, like, dodgy true crime podcasts. And I also have this thing that Caleb finds really weird when I need to brainstorm an idea that I'm writing, like, about and I can't think of anything, I go and sit down in the shower mm-hmm. and I rest my laptop on the sink and I sit down in the shower and watch really cheesy true crime shows. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, half an hour later, I, like, have a breakthrough in my brain, like a story breakthrough. Do you know what I mean? And then I keep working. So it's just one of my little writer's block things. That mm-hmm. I do. So I was listening to this, like, Pretty cheesy true crime podcast, which is a Podcast One podcast, by the way. Mm. It's so there's this show on TV, a documentary show called People Magazine Presents Murder Made Me
1: Famous.
0: <laughs> and we can't get the show here in Australia, but what Podcast One has done is taken the audio of the show and mm. made it into podcast episodes. Mm. So just go to Podcast One or, you know, Apple Podcasts or whatever and just. Search Murder Made Me Famous and you'll mm. find it. They've done it really well. It's not just like you're listening to a TV show. like They've really adapted it to be a cool podcast. But it's a bit cheesy, though. It's like mm. American true crime cheese. So anyway, I was listening to this episode about something called the Billionaire Boys Club. Mm. And it is not so crazy. Mm. So are you ready? Yes. Here we go. <laughs> it all starts with this kid called Joseph Henry Gampsky. And he comes from like a pretty lower middle class family. They don't have a lot of money, but he gets a scholarship to a very snooty high school in LA called Harvard Boys High, mm-hmm. um, which has since um, merged with this girls' school called Westlake. So it's Harvard Westlake, and it is basically where every rich famous kid in LA goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so he got a scholarship to this very fancy school and that kind of while he's there gives him a taste for the rich life. Mm-hmm. And like he decides no matter what, he's gonna make dollar dollar bills. Mm-hmm. So he does three semesters of some finance degree at university and then he decides he knows everything he needs to know and that he's a genius. <laughs> I love those straight white men who think they're really smart. And he drops out after three semesters and he goes to Chicago to start trading commodities. Mm-hmm. Which is just one of those weird money things that we don't really understand. But anyway, mm-hmm. he's shit at it, <laughs> not surprisingly, <laughs> and um starts losing lots of money and doing dodgy stuff with his clients' money. So um I like keeping it. So he gets suspended from trading for like a few years and he goes back to LA with his tail between his legs. Mm. But when he's in LA, he's like, wait a sec. I have a direct connection to a bunch of rich idiot kids all over the city that Mm. I went to high school with. So he decides that that's going to be his next move. So with his like leftover dodgy money from trading commodities, Mm. um, he buys like an expensive car and clothes. So he looks the part and he changes his name to Joe Hunt. And he tracks down all his old high school buddies And tells them that he graduated from university in a year because he's a genius, (laughs) and that now he's a total finance whiz, and he has this unbeatable genius formula for trading commodities, and he's making tons of tons of money. Mm. And he's like, "Do you guys want to come and work at my business?" Mm. And they're all like, "Why would we want to work at your business? We're all rich." And he's like, "Yeah, but like, don't you want to do something like outside of your parents? Like, let's all do this." And he kind of knows how to appeal to the the thing in someone that they want. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of goes to all these rich boys and convinces them, like, this is a way that you can be successful on your own and Mm -hmm. you won't be slaves to your parents anymore. And they're all like, yeah. So the trading business is called BBC Consolidated, which he named after a bar he liked to go to in Chicago called the Bombay Bicycle Club. But because of the initials, everyone starts joking that it's the Billionaire Boys Club Mm -hmm. and then that kind of sticks. Mm -hmm. So that's where the name comes from. So... The young guys that he approaches, like all of his high school friends, they all want in mm. and they all come from the kinds of families that have crazy kinds of money where like millions, some some of these families are billionaires, mm. where they can just say, I'm an investor now. So they all just quit whatever they're doing and come and work for BBC <laughs> um, Consolidated. And they all have family and family friends that they can go to to invest money. So this is where Joe was smart. He knew well, no one's just going to give a bunch of idiot kids investments except their family and friends. (laughs) So all he basically trains all these rich dudes to go and just pump their family and family friends for money. So Mm -hmm. they start getting, like, some pretty solid money in that they're meant to be using his genius formula to be trading commodities and making more money.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then they just party and buy stuff. And Joe is telling them that everything is going great And they're making heaps of money. But, of course, as we've learned from talking about people like Bernie Madoff, (laughs) most rich men are idiot scanners. Um, And Joe is a terrible trader and investor. He's not a genius, and he's not making any profits at all. So then, in order to pay returns to the people who've already invested... It turns into a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. So he starts getting his little minions to go and find more investors so he can use the new money coming in to pay the people who he owes money to, mm-hmm. which means they need more money coming in. So it's a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing Joe Hunt doesn't actually want it to be a Ponzi scheme. Like a lot of people who set up Ponzi schemes, that's their plan from the start. Just get in, get as much money as you can from as many people as you can, and then ditch town before it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. But Joe only starts using new clients' money to pay old clients as a stopgap because even though all evidence so far has indicated that he is an idiot, Joe is convinced that he is, in fact, a genius. (laughs) So (laughs) he thinks if I can just cover my losses for a bit, Mm. my genius formula will start working Mm -hmm. and I will start making money. Meanwhile... Nobody working at BBC knows that they're not making any actual money. Like, so he's paying them all really well and they're all spending money like crazy. He's spending money like crazy. Like, he has this amazing car and this awesome apartment and they're on these spending benders all the time. It's very 80s bro jock culture, Mm -hmm. the kind of thing you see in like Wolf of Wall Street and American Psycho and that kind of stereotypical 80s excess time. Mm. So it's very much that vibe Mm. is about the whole thing. But they don't know that he's not actually making money, and he can't tell them because the investors are all from their family and friends. Mm. But then Joe spots a solution on the horizon. So he meets this super rich older man at a party called Ron Levin, and they get on quite well. So Joe arranges a meeting with him for the next week to try and convince him to invest in BBC. He's like, I'm going to manipulate this guy into giving me heaps of money. Mm -hmm. So Ron Levin tells Joe that like he lacks his pluck. He's like, "I lack like your determination, kid. You remind me of me when I was younger." And so Ron Levin is like, "Okay, I'm going to put five million dollars into an investing account at this investment bank. You can trade it however you want, and whatever you make, you can keep half." Mm-hmm. He's kind of like, "I like your sport. Here's five mil.
1: <laughs> you got spunk.
0: You got spunk, kid." <laughs> <laughs> So Joe Hunt is like, yes. like He's like, all my problems are solved. If he can trade this $5 million well and make a profit, he can cover all the money he's lost so far. He can get the business back on track. Nobody will ever have to know that it's been dodgy for a while. Now, I know what you're going to say. He loses all the money. <laughs> but... Gasp.
1: Oh, twist. He
0: actually might be smart because <laughs> he takes that five million and through clever trades manages to turn it into thirteen million dollars.
1: Clever trades slash luck.
0: I think oh, so. No. So that's a profit of eight million dollars, which means he gets four million uh-huh. because Ron Levin said you can have half of whatever profits you make.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he calls Ron Levin about cashing out his four million bucks, mm. but he's struggling to get in touch with Ron Levin. Mm. And after a couple of weeks, he starts to get the shits because he's like, I really need that money to, like, get everything back on track. So he calls the investment bank that the account is in directly and tells them he's having trouble getting in touch with Ron. Like, Mm -hmm. do you guys know where he is? And while he's on the phone, the executive he's talking to is like, oh, so how's the documentary going? And Joe is like, excuse me? And the executive's like, you know, the documentary where you were making all those fake trades. Like, that sounds like (laughs) a really interesting project. And Joe kind of, like, in his brain is like what the actual F but he like handles it really smoothly and Mm. he's like oh and he and he takes the conversation in his stride he's like the docker's going great and he sort of gets the executive talking so he can figure out what the hell is going on Mm. oh my gosh this is amazing (laughs) it turns out Ron Levin Mm. had contacted this bank Mm -hmm. told him that he was a filmmaker making a documentary about trading and the stock market (sighs) and asked them if they would set up a dummy account with a pretend $5 million in it so he could make a bunch of trades with it and film the computer screen as the trades were yeah. happening. Now, for investing training, this is a thing that they have. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're training to be an investor, they do have dummy accounts mm-hmm. where you can make trades depend in real time depending yeah. on what's actually happening in the market. Mm-hmm. But those dummy accounts are always clearly marked, like training account or, mm-hmm. you know... This person is learning, L plates. Like, I don't know, marked with something. But Ron Levin convinced the bank not to mark this account as Mm. a dummy account because he was like, oh, we need it to look real for the documentary. Mm. And, you know, it's Hollywood. So the bank was like, oh, whatever, it's show business, fine. So they set up a dummy account with a pretend $5 million in it that has no indication on it that it is not a real account. Mm. So then Ron Levin told Joe Hunt that it was a real account And Joe Hunt does actually make trades and turns that $5 million into $13 million. Ron (laughs) Levin then prints out all the trade history Mm. that shows a profit of $8 million. He takes that trade history to another bank Mm. and says, look how much money I have. Will will you give me a loan? And they say, sure, here's a million (laughs) dollars. So Ron Levin gets a million dollars based on this dummy account that he has made to look real. So it turns out Joe Hunt thought that he had manipulated an eccentric old millionaire into investing in BBC, Mm. but Ron Levin is himself a con artist with no (laughs) money. So he scams Joe into making this scheme work for him. The scammer got scammed.
1: Wow. I know. Oh,
0: and that's not even the end of the story. Ah, cha. Okay, (laughs) Okay. Joe is furious, Uh and I get it. Can you imagine thinking you had won the lotto and all your problems were solved, and you called everyone whoever wronged you and said, "F all of y'all, I've got four million dollars. I finally did it." And like, ironically. He did actually, for the first time in his life, make successful, (laughs) profitable trades. And then he finds out that none of it was real. With
1: Monopoly money. With Monopoly money.
0: (laughs) And so he does not like the feeling of someone cheating him, Mm. even though that's what he does for a living to other people. (laughs) So he decides he is going to kill Ron Levin And at least get whatever money he has. Mm -hmm. So he calls Ron Levin, and he's like, look, man, I know what you did. And to be honest, respect. Like, that was smart. From one scammer to another. Exactly. And he's like, but obviously you make dodgy, like, you make money doing dodgy shit like this, so let's talk about doing some dodgy shit together. Mm. And Ron Levin is like, cool, come over for dinner. So Joe goes over to Ron's house, which is a beautiful big house, by the way. So he obviously, like, has some dosh. Mm. And while there, a thug turns up and says he's from the Mafia. Now, this guy (laughs) is actually Jim Pittman, the security guard at BBC. (laughs) And he's like, I'm from the Mafia and Joe owes us money. And Joe's like, look, man, I can't give you the money I owe you until Ron gives me the money he owes me. Hmm. And so then the Mafia thug turns to Ron and is like, well, give him the money so he can give me the money or I'll kill you. And Ron is petrified. He Mm -hmm. thinks this is a real man from the mafia Mm -hmm. and he's about to be shot in the head. So Ron Levin admits that he has $2 million in a Swiss bank account. Mm -hmm. And so they force him to write a check for it because this is the 80s, it's checks. Mm -hmm. They immediately shoot him in the head. They take him out to the desert, bury him. But here's where cocky, arrogant men who think they're geniuses are actually idiots. Ron Levin was a scammer. The check he gave Joe bounces. He doesn't have... $2 $2 million. He does have a Swiss bank account, but there's $230 in it.
1: Well, colour me shocked. Colour me shocked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the police actually say later that at this stage, Ron's parents were paying his rent. Like, that's literally how little money he had. So now Joe is like, well, I'm F. Mm-hmm. And he decides the best thing to do is to come clean to all his bros at BBC mm-hmm. because he's confident that he's built such a culture of, like, us against the world, Mm -hmm. chest pump, toxic masculinity. He's like, I've got all this loyalty that if I tell them everything that's happened, they'll stand by me and we'll figure it out. And also, he knows they're all too embarrassed to admit there's no money because they borrowed it all from their family and friends and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's like, they're going to do whatever it takes to get the money back again. Mm -hmm. So Joe has this meeting with, like, the upper council of BBC, like, the few most important people, and he tells them that the $13 million he made from Run Levin was all fake. Mm. So he and Jim Pittman, the security guard, um, got him to write a check and then they killed him. And then that check turned out to be faked. So now we're all effed and we have to do whatever it takes to make money. And they're all like, Gah! it's like 80s toxic bro culture. Like they're all, it's kind of cult-like.
1: I'm picturing Matthew McConaughey in yes. his chest.
0: It's exactly yeah. that. That people who were at the meeting say that's what was happening. Mm. It felt like mass hysteria in this room. Mm. And his right-hand man, who la- and like his biffle, who later became the lead witness against him, this guy called Dean Carney, he said that the BBC by that point had become almost cult-like. So that night, it even though he just told them, Oh, the money is fake, everything's gone. I killed a guy with the security guard, but yeah, and they were all just like yeah, like he said it was bizarre. Um, Roars before laws,
1: yes, yeah. yes.
0: But in the midst of all this bravado and headbutting and chest pumping, two of the guys in the room are quietly giving each other side eye, like what the. F-
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and those two guys are twin boys. And they're actually the richest of all the guys who work at BBC. They come from a billionaire family that started a whole bunch of massive department stores in the US. Mm. And so they leave that meeting like, yeah, killing, whatever," But they just like immediately walk out and just run to the closest police station and call <laughs> their rich family lawyer and they're like, we are caught up in some weird stuff. Mm. So they tell the police everything that just happened at the meeting and the police start looking into it. But it's hard because A, there's no body, they don't know where to find it, and mm. B... Ron Levin is a known local scammer, and the police are just like, oh, what's Ron got himself involved in? Like, he's out on bail for something else. Maybe he just took off, mm. like. And so they sort of start investigating, but just half-heartedly, because they're like, this is just a bro kid at some companies, probably talking crap. Mm. Ron Levin annoys us all the time with small-time petty crime, whatever. And the twins are just like, well, we did our bit. Bye. <laughs> so they just leave. mm mm-hmm. Meanwhile, everyone at BBC is like, yes, money, just pump, whatever it takes. And one a couple of days later, after the big secret meeting, a guy in BBC called Reza Eslaminia is like, we're in this together. I'm glad you guys told me this because I know how to fix it. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I like to talk like that all the time. <laughs> uh, anyway, he's like, my dad, Hedaya Eslaminia, is worth like $40 million and I effing hate him, so let's kidnap my dad make him hand over the $40 million to me, and mm. then kill him like you killed Ron Levin. <laughs> and all the guys are like, yes, bravado! Toxic masculinity! Just bomb! Let's do this! Oh. So they decide to kill Reza's dad oh. and get his $40 million. But, and I know I've said this already, but I'm really not sure if I can stress this enough. <laughs> These guys are
1: idiots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they kidnap Reza's dad, and they put him in the trunk of a car and drive out to the desert. And they had put air holes in the trunk, but Hadayat wouldn't stop screaming. So at some point on the trip, they pull over, cover the air holes, and keep driving. Oh, God. By the time they get to their desert location, Hadiat has suffocated and died. Mm-hmm. Now, they were going to kill mm-hmm. him anyway, but this isn't ideal because they needed Hadayat to transfer all his assets over to his son Reza before they killed him. Mm-hmm. But then they were like, okay. Reza's going to inherit all the money anyway. It'll mm. take a couple months longer, but still, he's dead, so mm. we did it.
1: <laughs> BBC! BBC!
0: Billionaire Boys Club! And so they bury Hidayat, apparently not far from where um, Joe and Jim Pittman, the security guard, had buried Ron Levin, <laughs> which Dean Carney testifies to later, that he says, like, when they're burying um, Hidayat. That Jim Pittman is like, oh, hey, oh, yeah, Ron's over there. Like, just kind of mentions that he's around there somewhere. Mm. (laughs) Um, A few days later, Reza starts trying to organize getting his dad's 40 million. And it turns out everyone in this story is a freaking scammer because guess what? (laughs) Hadaya was penniless. He had no money. (laughs) He'd been telling everyone he had 40 million bucks and there was virtually nothing to inherit. (gasps) (laughs)
1: Wow.
0: the things men do to appear powerful. Gender dynamics, (laughs) toxic masculinity, (laughs) etc. By this point, the police go to search Ron Levin's house and there's no evidence of foul play, there's no body there, like they can't really see anything that indicates a crime has been committed until they're just about to leave and they look in a cupboard and when they open a cupboard, this thing falls out and it's a seven-page list that is titled At Levin's to-do. And on the list is things written like tape mouth, handcuff, put gloves on, (gasps) explain situation, scan for tape recorder, kill dog. The list was written on Joe Hunt letterhead, and he had signed his name on it a bunch of times. You know, like when you're doodling and you (laughs) do your signature? (laughs) He had left a murder to-do list at the murder victim's house.
1: It's like a recipe he needed to remember to follow. Exactly.
0: And he had literally signed his name all over it, plus it was written on personalised Joe Hunt stationery. Wow. (laughs) Straight white men.
1: Idiots. This is the best part. I know.
0: Okay. So. The police pull him in for an interview, and he has answers to all their questions. Like, he's clearly been planning for a while. If I get pulled in for an interview, he's mm. got all his answers planned. But then they pull out the list, mm. and apparently he sees it and goes white as a sheet. Mm. And apparently he sits there, and he goes through every page, and he doesn't say anything. And then he closes it, and he says, I'd like a lawyer, please. <laughs> Everything starts to unravel pretty bloody quickly. Mm -hmm. So Dean Carney, Joe's BFF and right-hand man, he sorts out the deal of the century with prosecutors. So in exchange for total immunity, even though he was there when Mm. they killed Hedayat as Laminia, Mm. in exchange for total immunity, he agrees to tell them everything he knows. So he Mm -hmm. becomes the star witness. They find Hedayat's body based on his telling them where he thinks it is, but Mm. they can't find Ron's body anywhere there, even though they look everywhere for it. Mm. Joe is arrested for the murders of both Ron Levin and Hedayat Eslaminia. Mm. The trial for the murder of Ron Levin is first, and Joe is sentenced to life in prison, even though no body was found. Mm -hmm. Um, And it becomes a media sensation at this point, because this is around the time when... Like court TV is sort of happening in the late 80s. Like, and so it's just this huge, like, and the fact they're called the Billionaire Boys Club mm. and it's rich kids in LA. And mm. so it's a big news story. Um, Jim Pittman, the security guard, can't afford bail. So he's held in prison for three years while two trials happen for his role in the death of Ron. There's two trials because there's no body, and both those trials end in hung juries. They mm. can't decide whether or not he's guilty. And rather than try him a third time, the prosecutors are like, "Oh, fine, will you just plead guilty if we sentence you to time served? Because mm. he's been in, waiting in prison for three years. And he's like, yup. And then, so they release him. He immediately goes on a current affair and is like, I did it, suckers, and you can't try <laughs> me again because double jeopardy. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, this story is just nuts. <laughs> But then he dies of kidney failure a couple of years later, but he kind of just milks his fame for the last couple of years of his life. Oh.
1: <laughs> At least have some shame. Oh. So
0: <laughs> because of all the holdups with the trials over Ron Levin, it takes a few years for the trials of for the murder of Hadiya mm. Eslaminia to begin. Mm. His son Reza and another guy who was there that night. Um, are found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Mm. Joe's trial for the murder of Hedayat finally happens, and he's been in prison for a while now, mm. so he's been studying lots of legal books, and he decides to represent himself. Mm-hmm. And no surprise here, because it sounds like he's a very charismatic, intelligent person and good at convincing people of things. He's very good at being a lawyer, mm. and he convinces the jury that the star witness, his biffle Dean Carney, who turned on him, was the one who killed Hedayat. And he's so good at, like, planting that reasonable doubt mm. that the jury is hung and they can't decide. Like, and so he gets off on the murder of Hedayat Eslaminia. Prosecutors just dropped the charges against him for that because they're like, well, he's already in jail for life for on Let's not waste money on, tri- on another trial. Mm. Let's just drop it. But then, because his charges were dropped, Reza and the other dude mm. were like, hey, man, How can you sentence us to life in prison, but you drop the charges against him? If you drop the charges against him, you're essentially admitting that, like, you don't think he had anything to do with it. Mm. So then they get their convictions overturned and they go free. No way. So after all of this, after all of this, the only person who ended up getting properly punished was Joe Hunt. Uh Uh-huh. Everybody else got out. Uh I mean... Jim Pittman died of kidney failure, but he had a pretty mad gotcha moment on a current affair. (laughs) Um, Still. Um, Joe Hunt is in prison for life. Nobody has ever been officially blamed for the murder of Hadayat Eslaminia Mm because they all got off on that. Joe is still in prison today. Mm -hmm. He maintains he is innocent. He says that Ron Levin is alive. He says you never found a body. He was a con artist. He had taken off somewhere. He's managed to find witnesses over the years who say they've seen Ron Levin around places. There's a very fancy website you can go to called Free Joe Hunt. It's, Mm. like, better than my website. It's really good. (laughs) His family are offering $100,000 for any information on the whereabouts of Ron Levin. Mm -hmm. And they say that since he's been in prison, he's um, got a law degree, he's become a minister, he's got married... Mm-hmm. He deserves to be free because he never actually did anything. He admits to being a dodgy financial person, but mm-hmm. not to killing anyone.
1: Uh-huh.
0: The story became pretty famous because, like, it was huge at the time, but it was mainly known because there was a miniseries in 1987 that was massive. Mm. It was called Billionaire Boys Club, and it starred um, Judd Nelson, who was a huge star at the time, as Joe Hunt. hmm um, so that's how everyone kind of knew about it. And a little um, interesting tidbit is that that miniseries is what the Menendez brothers watched and gave them the idea to kill their parents to get their inheritance. The Menendez brothers is like another very famous child that I'll do adjust the gist on. But yes,
1: please. Anyway, yeah,
0: there was also <laughs> I find this really funny. A movie made about it recently of the same name, because there's never been a movie. There was a miniseries, but never a movie. A movie um, came out in 2017 called Billionaire Boys Club, starring Ansel Engort as Joe. Mm. But what the movie is most famous for is being the last movie Kevin Spacey made before all those um, sexual assault allegations were brought against Mm. him. So he made this movie, and then they were like, oh, we can't release it. It's got a perv in it. He was playing Ron (laughs) Levin. Yeah. And so it kind of floated around nowhere for a few years. And I think after a few years they were like, maybe it's safe. And so everyone was like, this is going to be the movie that tests whether or not Mm -hmm. Kevin Spacey is still a box office draw. And when they released Billionaire Boys Club in 2017, it became hugely famous (laughs) For being a movie that made only $618 on its opening weekend Stop in theaters. It, <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty <sighs> much the movie where everyone was like, Kevin Spacey's canceled. We're
1: voting with our wallets. No. But
0: also apparently it's just a terrible movie. Uh-huh. So there you go. Won a bunch of Razzies and stuff.
1: We have to watch it. I know. Yeah. yeah. So let's watch it tonight.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's it. Mm-hmm. Billionaire Boys Club, the mini-series, you it's on YouTube mm. in full. People Magazine Presents Murder Made Me Famous is a podcast, one podcast, so mm-hmm. you can listen to it. Mm-hmm. I also found another podcast hosted by Marsha Clark, who was who is most famous for being the prosecutor who lost the case against O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. So she did an episode about it. But honestly, those are the only things I could find on it. Uh-huh. I don't know why, but just not much has been written about this story. I think that's why I've never heard of it. I found a couple of podcasts and the mini-series.
1: Well, thank you for adding this to the database then. <laughs> You're spreading the word. This is such Isn't a good it story. Crazy? History can't lose this story. I
0: know. So I, I couldn't find much else, but that is the story of the Billionaire Boys Club.
1: Well done. And what do you think, Ron? Is he dead, of buried course. in the desert? No, I love the idea of him swimming around <laughs> Panama somewhere.
0: But he wasn't a big-time scammer. I mean, like the police said, his parents were paying his rent at the time. The only money he had was the million-dollar loan that he managed to get from the bank, that from and that was probably the biggest scam he had ever pulled. But police say that apparently he was a very small-time scammer. He lived from small scam to small scam. He was like a dodgy con artist. He's not the kind of guy who can disappear to Mexico and live in a gorgeous villa, and
1: maybe that's what he wants you to think.
0: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I think if they you're listening, them
1: wrong all. respect.
0: They killed everyone. They just killed them all. They were nuts. Yeah, and it just shows also like how different the justice system is for people who have money. Yeah. Like, you get good lawyers and all these rich kids got off. They Mm -hmm. all got off. Mm -hmm. And Joe Hunt now is, I mean, his website's fascinating, freejohunt.com. It's like you get a very detailed version of the story, but it's his version of the story. And it's got all these detailed sightings of Ron Levin all over the world and, Mm -hmm. like, all these stories about what a lovely guy he is and, you know, they've got this reward which, funnily enough, no one has claimed. (laughs) So, um...
1: Yeah, get out there and get that bounty, folks. He's oh out God. there. I'm sure he's out there.
0: Let's get pissed yeah. tonight and watch <laughs> Billionaire Boys Club with Ansel Elgort. Yeah. <laughs> oh. 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 yeah, oh. oh.
1: Toxic masculinity
0: headbutt. I love you, bye.
1: Love you, bye. bye. Yeah.